I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Every once in a while, you see things a little bit more clearly. You're snapped out of your monotony of your day-to-day routine, and you see the whole picture, or at least a slightly larger slice of that picture than, than normal. By way of example, we sat down with our kids probably about two years ago, and uh, they had had a particularly rough time doing simple tasks that they, they should have been able to do at their age, chores that they should have been able to do, and they were, they were not perhaps responding in, in the best light, in the best way they could. And so we sat down with them and talked to them about the fact that our job as parents was to equip them for adult life and let them know that the day was coming where they would have to take responsibility for themselves. And just throughout the number, you know, when you turn 18, you're going to have a greater amount of responsibility because, uh, you know, this is when the state says that you're an adult. And, uh, and it got real quiet. And my, my, at the time, my son was nine, and he started doing the math in his head. And he realized, wow, I am nine. That's halfway to 19. And he just kind of, the, the blood drained from his face. And he had this realization that he was halfway to that mark at nine years old. And he, he came up to us and said, Dad, I, I don't feel prepared for this. And he was kind of a little bit shaken by it. And I said, well, that's, yes, you're absolutely not prepared for that, but you're nine. <laughs> you're not supposed to be prepared for that yet, but we're going to be giving you advice and we're going to be helping you to grow in virtue. And we're going to be working uh, to teach you these things and you need to participate in them in order for you to, uh, to be prepared when that time comes. And so, you know, that, that kind of shook him from a little bit of a stupor of, of uh, what he should expect or, you know, whether or not it was fair to ask him to do chores and the, 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 that kind of thing. Well, um, we've had varying degrees of success for Sundays. Of course, he remembers that that date is looming out there. He remembers a little bit better than other days. Uh, but the the point of the matter, the point of the story is that every once in a while we get this crystal clear focus and maybe a slight amount of panic that goes along with it at the reality of our lives. Now that jolt could lead us to two different conclusions. The first conclusion is uh, one that takes us to anxiety and to worry and, uh, and it doesn't really accomplish anything. It just kind of sits there and reminds us over and over and over again that, uh, that life is challenging. The other uh, takes us to a point of humility as we recognize that we need the presence of God in our lives. And as you can guess, this one is the, the preferred response to that crystal clear picture that, hey, this is a little bit more complex than I first thought. I get this thought often when I look at down the pew at, on Sunday morning and I see all of these children that are just one after the other that when when you're having children, you're like, hey, it's uh, it, the child, the the youngest looks like he's not a baby anymore. You know, let's let's think about having that next child, and uh, and it's no big deal for that child to be eighteen months or two years from the previous one. 
But then, then you start to realize, hey, that means they're going to turn teenagers just like bam, 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 right in a row. Hey, that means they're going to graduate just right in a row. Hey, that means they're going to want to go to college or, uh, or some other kind of life enrichment right in a row. And all of a sudden it can get a little bit frightening, <laughs> but there's hope in these situations. There's, there's hope to look and say, okay, I am, uh, I see absolutely no way that this can end well, <laughs> but I know that God is in control and I know that God brought us to this place and I know that God will provide for all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so I can either allow myself to get wound up in anxiety or I can allow that same realization to take me to a place of humility and to prayer and to put my trust in God to handle these things. Another place I feel that anxiety, and perhaps you can relate with this as well, is looking at my children and looking at my schedule, my responsibilities at work, and feeling as though I'm not able to give to my children what they, what they deserve, what they need from me in terms of being able to, to pass on the faith. You know, I talked about this a little bit last week, that, that I have a great concern that my children fall in love with the faith like I did and not merely uh, perform the externals because it's what's expected. And so I, I have this desire for them to grow in faith, and I, and I realize how my job takes me away and keeps me sometimes uh, 12 hours from the time that they wake up in the morning to the time they're going down to bed at night. Uh, some days they don't see me. And so looking at this and going, how can I uh, give my children what they need and still meet my responsibilities to provide for their needs? And so that, that's a little bit of where we're going to go in our conversation today. Uh, we have a, a great conversation with Kendra Tierney. We've had her on the show before. We talked with her about the hashtag sackcloth and ashes not too terribly long ago. But between that conversation and this one, there's a new book that has come out, The Catholic All-Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life. And it's a wonderful book of really chock full of simple things to do that in tangible ways help pass on the faith. And so we're going to have that conversation with her as we examine what are things that we can do even in the midst of our terribly busy lives as a family to incorporate the faith and to live the faith and to pass on the faith to our children. Because the good news is that this shocking reality of our busyness can lead us to a place of anxiety or a place of humility where we place our trust in God and set our priorities and make those decisions with His grace. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Talk to me about what you do in the home, some little practice that passes the faith to your kids. What's their favorite activity, their favorite prayer? And join us right after this break for our conversation with Kendra Tierney. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. 
I'm your host, TL. And last week we talked a little bit about uh, a change in the dynamic and the paradigm of religious education and talked about the importance of passing on the faith through the home, uh, how essential that is to making sure our children have more than just uh, a knowledge of the faith or be able to answer the right uh, theoretical or theological questions uh, correctly with the right verbiage, but actually give them a sense and an encounter with Christ and an encounter with the faith that they'll then carry that into the rest of their lives. Uh, we're going to continue that theme today as we talk with Kendra Tierney. She's the author of a brand new book, The Catholic All-Year Compendium. She's also been blogging for quite a while at catholicallyear.com. Kendra, thank you for joining us again today. Thanks so much for having me. So I, I said this before the break, we have, it's a beautiful book. It's um really well laid out and there's a couple of indices. So if you have specific questions, you can uh, use it as um, look up what, what's the feast day today. You can go back to the back and find the feast days that you have listed in here. And it's very easy to navigate. I do feel like there's um, uh, something missing because it's 360 pages uh, and it feels like it being Catholic all year should be 365 so uh, we need to talk to the people at Ignatius and see if we can uh, change the font size or add a add one more thing at the beginning to make it a little longer. Uh, but I'm I'm still waiting on my imprimatur, so maybe we'll we could make that super we'll have a long five page long imprimatur. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you a, a little bit about how you got started, and you mentioned in here that all of this began with Talk Like a Pirate Day. Can you expound on that for us? So for us, this was a way to combine two things that were really important to us, which was our faith and making sure that we and our kids had a sort of really relationship with our faith that was constantly growing and, and that we were constantly learning. So we wanted that that to be a part of our life. We wanted our faith to be um, you know, at, at the center of our family life. And then on, on the other hand, having this strong family culture. And I think that a strong family culture can, can really help inoculate a family a, against the ills of the culture that, that obviously we all live in one time or another, and there's going to be difficulties. There were difficulties uh, in times previous and there are difficulties now and but but my kids don't have to reflect the weakness of the culture around them if we have a really strong family culture within the walls of our house and so it was just it was sort of born of wanting those fun traditions that I saw in the secular world of um, you know, of, of everybody having donuts on donut day and putting that on social media. Um, but, but as I learned more about our faith and I realized, Hey, the Catholic church has these old traditional practices that, you know, still in places in Europe, entire, you know, entire communities and towns come together to celebrate the saints with particular foods and particular traditions. And so it just, the, living the liturgical year in the home 
seemed like this perfect marriage of a way to learn about the saints, a way to learn about the history of the church, and a way to do fun, funny, memorable things together as a family. Right. So instead of going around and uh, saying Avasti matey when you uh, walk up and greet someone, uh, you you can go and experience the the blessing of Saint Blaise, the blessing of the throats, where you have these right. candles stuck up around your neck, and it, it's just as memorable. Uh, or you know, you this, can say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Right. This it's year, my shake. this year, my daughter uh, decided she wanted to do Saint Lucy, so she got a wreath and put the the battery operated candles on her head and went around and woke everyone up in the morning. Um, and so, you know, it, there are memorable practices that are, I think, very uh, hands-on, very tangible. Uh, and those are the things that kids remember. It's true. And, and when kids are facing challenges to, to your family belief system, I, I think that having an, a strong identity as a Catholic and as a, in my case, Tierney, that my kids don't have the expectation that they'll be like everybody else, that our family will be like other people's families. Because since they were babies, we've been telling them, hey, we do things differently. We do things the Tierney way. Um, and and Tierneys do this and Tierneys don't do that. And, you know, when they're very young, that really helps, I think, them to just identify as our family in that way, you don't have to make necessarily negative judgments because a lot of things that tyrannies do and don't do aren't necessarily, um, you know, uh, moral imperatives. Right. It's just what works for us. Um, and, and so it's that, you know, starting there that, and then as they get older and as living the liturgical year results in dinner table conversations about, the saints and about the sacrifices that they made about, um, you know, things that happened in the history of the church and those things that have informed our, our family choices and the kids gain a a greater understanding of the whys. Um, and so it, it goes beyond just food pun dinners, which I love very much, but (laughs) which we'll get to here in a bit. It's the conversations that that go along with it that, you know, my hope is that um, it, that that those result in in a lasting deep understanding of of our faith. Yeah, we're talking today with Kendra Tierney, and so Kendra, a lot of um, a lot of people from the outside would look in and at the at the Tierney way of doing things and think, I can never do that. Whether they look at the number of kids you have, you've got nine kids. Whether it be, um, you know, they, they they look at you whether in in disbelief or whether in thinking I don't have my uh, my life together well enough to do what they're obviously doing very well, um, and yet you say in this book several times that there's no real right way to do things. You do things the way they work for your family wherever it is, but I can't help but think that there are some priorities that you have set in your family. Some things that you have elevated and said, this is important to us and other things you've said, you know, we're going to, we're going to do away with this, not because it's bad, but because we want something better um, in order to really get into the ability to have the time to practice the liturgical year. So what are some of the priorities for the Tierney family that you say, 
this is more important and this is less important, and that's going to affect our ability to practice the faith. Yeah, absolutely. That there are only a certain number of hours in the day, and it, and you're right. Everything is a choice. You have to do, you have to not do something so that you can do other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it comes down to priorities for us. Dinner together as a family um, has has to be, you know, it, it is a big priority for us, and it's something that we were able to manage almost every night um, for many, many years. Um, My husband's current job uh, requires more of him um, in the evenings. So we probably only have him five nights a week now, uh, whereas we used to be able to regularly count on six or seven, but five nights a week is still pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that time together as a family where where we can have these dinner table conversations, where we can have um, celebrations of uh, of the kids' name days and baptism anniversaries. Um, it's really the center of our of the faith in our in our family. Mm-hmm. So that has been, you know, and it's hard. It means saying no to some things. It means looking at practice schedules for sports. It means looking at, you know, at extracurricular activities and deciding, does this further our family priorities or is it going to get in the way? Um, And that, while that has been really, really important for our family, I, I don't think that, that, that every family has to make the same decisions in that regard. I think that for some families that, you know, that some extracurriculars that take up a lot of time are something that they do as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that if you're a family that spends a lot of time in the car, then you can base your liturgical living in the car. There are podcasts, there are prayers that you can say together. Um, so it, it, it doesn't have to look the same for, for everyone. Now, I would always argue that, that family dinner together is, is so important and worth the sacrifice for, for just about everybody. But, you know, I can't speak for for all families. And I know that other people make different things work. Well, and I would say that if your work schedule is such that you can't make a family dinner work, uh, find at least one meal a week, at least where you can sit down as an entire family and, and have uh, really model that what it looks like to have a conversation and model, you know, we have a rule in our house that we're, we've just now begun really implementing um, more strongly. And that's no crosstalk. We're going to have one conversation at the table and everyone's going to be involved in that one conversation rather than having that three people over here having their conversation and two over here and basically ending up with a cacophony. Um, we're able to sit down and model that kind of uh, intentionality and paying attention to what the other people in the table are think, think is interesting uh, and really foster an opportunity for them to listen to others, which they're not going to get uh, anywhere else, but at our dinner table. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I know I hear a lot from moms who, who want uh, their husbands to be involved in the faith formation of their kids. Uh, And uh, oftentimes it feels, especially for homeschooling families, like, you know, mom does catechism class mom makes sure everybody has clean clothes for mass and you know that 
but that we want, you know, we know how important it is for our kids to see dad as the, as the leader of the family um, in, in regards to faith, that, that have it not be something that he is a part of, that it, that it should be a whole family thing. Um, and having it meal-based uh, really allows dad to be involved. And I think a lot of times, even when, uh, you know, if I'm the one who is researching, you know, funny traditional meals that we could have and, and preparing the meal, we can all still sit down. My husband can, you know, lead grace, lead the prayers, be involved in a discussion. And so it, it really does allow dads to be involved in a way that doesn't require a lot of preparation for them. I know, you know, my husband rolls in from the garage and he always talks about that, you know, he has to reset himself, uh, you know, put work self away, put on a smile and be ready to greet the kids. Um, and, uh, you know, but it, it means that we haven't put away all of our, uh, all of our faith stuff for the day at the end of the school day that, that we're ready to, to do that as a family. Yeah. We're talking today with Kendra Tierney, author of the new book, The Catholic All-Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life, available on Ignatius Press. If you're looking for a way to engage your family and the faith outside of Mass, this is the how-to book you need. Go take a look at it. We're going to post a link on our social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to this conversation right after the break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And nowhere in our conversations that we've had is that intro more uh, applicable than today, the implications of our faith on daily life. We're talking about living out the liturgical year in our daily life, and there really are nearly daily opportunities to do something. Uh, That doesn't mean you have to do something every day, but it means that you can start any day simply by looking at the liturgical calendar saying, hey, where are we? Let's get this thing launched. Uh, To help us do that, there's this brand new book, The Catholic All-Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life, available on Ignatius Press. And we're talking with the author, Kendra Tierney, today. Kendra, thanks for joining us again. Thanks uh, for having me. So uh, I want to start with talking about, you talked in the last segment that you like pun meals. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that. There are two that that stood out to me. Uh, One is what you do for the Feast of St. Lawrence. And then, uh, of course, you you grill, you grill out because St. Lawrence, for those who don't know, was um, was martyred by being grilled alive. That's a little macabre, but uh, it's, it's, it's funny to me. Uh, the second is we, we've got on, what, Monday, the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. And there's not really a, a regular practice around the celebration of his feast day like there is for some other things, you know, St. Andrew with hot cross buns or St. Joseph with a specific kind of bread. Uh, there's not a whole lot pre-made for the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, and yet you found a way. So talk a little bit about your process of finding celebrations where there isn't one already, and give us the specifics on uh, the feast of what you do for St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, so 
I did a lot of looking at, you know, old, old books and, um, and actually it come, things come up in, in reading old novels where people will talk about, oh, it's the feast of St. Somebody or other, so we have to eat something, and I jot that down. But you're right, not all feast days have these set traditions. So then I like to just look at what are they known for? What are they associated and then in St. Thomas Aquinas's case, what is his nickname? So his nickname is the dumb ox. Dumb in this case, meaning silent or quiet, because I don't think anybody ever would have accused him of being not smart. So I like to serve oxtail soup to the kids. And that really goes along with one of my favorite parts of the liturgical living are these memorable meals that, uh, you know, that come to be part of our family culture, but at first, um, you know, can seem kind of shocking. And oxtail <laughs> soup is really just beef stew. It's just beef stew. Uh, an, you know, an ox is just a cow with a particular job and some surgical modifications. And so his tail is made of beef, but it sounds pretty crazy to kids that they're going to eat the tail. Um, and, uh, but they are actually pretty, uh, widely available around me, um, in, in, in grocery stores, you can find oxtail, but if you can't find oxtail, and I say this in the book, you know, you can just get stew meat and call it oxtail soup and your kids will be just as shocked and gleefully horrified. <laughs> it's still memorable. Yes. You said you said it doesn't have to be oxtail. They just have to think that it's oxtail. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so you you have this process uh, a lot of what you do to celebrate the feasts does center around food. Uh is there a reason that that's the way you've chosen to do it? Yes, there there is and it's it's because that is sort of my love language to begin with. That's something that the family meals was was already something that was a priority for my husband and I. Um, when we started having a family, we knew that we wanted to to focus on that. And, and so our liturgical living celebration really naturally grew out of, out of the family dinner table. But there are also uh, prayers that you can do that, that are based on the liturgical calendar. There are set month, there are set devotions, recommended dev devotions for each month of the year um, that you can use the liturgical year to really sort of focus your prayer. Um, and, and so it's not, it's not just food-based, but for us, that's always been a fun way to sort of tie it in. And we, um, I don't serve dessert on non-feast days, but I do serve dessert on Sundays and Saints Days that we celebrate. So it makes it, you know, something that the kids really look forward to. They, uh, um, they like dessert, so they have positive associations. Right. Thank you, Saints, for being holy. <laughs> we get ice cream. Right. 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 And so, you know, if cooking oxtail soup doesn't seem like it's up your alley this particular year, you know, you really can just say the collect prayer or in St. Thomas Aquinas's case, say, you know, one of the prayers that he's known for um, and just have a bowl of ice cream or have cookies and, uh, you know, and just start that as you're still going to learn something and you're still going to have positive associations. Yeah. 
We're talking today with Kendra Tierney, author of the new book, The Catholic All Year Compendium. You can find her writing also at catholicallyear.com. So the liturgical calendar, I think, gives us so much richness because um, we may be having a bad year. Uh, we may not feel all that connected to uh, to the wider church. We may feel depressed or down in the dumps or whatever the case may be, and the church still gives us opportunity and invites us into celebration even if we don't feel like it. And the, the converse is true as well. We can feel like we're on top of the world, and the church still invites us to examine ourselves and to to feel sadness and sorrow for sin and to enter into introspection uh, as we await the consolation through the work, the redeeming work of Christ. And so it, it gives us, if we follow it, the full range of emotion throughout the course of the year, uh, which I think brings us balance and health. Uh, and you talk about a number of things in here. Some of, One of the things that I really would like to know more about, because it's not something that has been um, as prominent since the Second Vatican Council. And this is the idea of ember days and, and also rogation days uh, along with that. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what those are and how you celebrate them in your family. Yes, absolutely. So ember days are, uh, they're observed four times a year for three days over the course of one week on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. And uh, the Wednesday being the day that Judas betrayed Jesus, Friday, the day that he died, and Saturday, the day that he was in the tomb. And they are, their days, um, it, it, they're sort of historically tied to agriculture. And they are days for giving special thanks to God for the seasonal harvests. So there are, um, there's one set in each season. And Basically, they're just extra days of fasting. They're not, they used to be required. They, uh, and we would be required to fast in the way that we do on uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. They are no longer required, but they are still officially on the books and officially recommended. So it's, it's voluntary days of uh, fasting and abstinence. And for me, I have really found the observation of extra fasting days to really be a tool in our tool belt as we seek to grow in personal holiness. That there's been such a uh, uh, de-emphasizing of fasting. And I think that that takes a tool away from us. Um, And that it's something that we can choose to reclaim at any time, even if, quote unquote, nobody, you know, is talking about it. It's, it's still there and it's still there for us to discover. And so um, and while it's you're, really hard to remember. To, it's really hard to remember to do them because right. they're not part of the public Catholic consciousness anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's something that was meant to be done in community. It's something that was meant to be done together to offer this penance with friends, with family, something that, that we would know this was coming. And, you know, you have to finish the meat leftovers because, you know, this is an ember week coming up. And, um, you know, so it just adds those, those extra days of, like I said, coming together in community and also just 
strengthening ourselves and strengthening our resolve and making us feel tougher, um, feel like we can handle stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to me, that's the gift of fasting. Right along that same vein, a lot of people know that we no longer have to abstain from, from meat on Fridays, except during Lent. Uh, but a lot of people miss out on the fact or somehow haven't, haven't heard that the bishops have asked specifically in the United States. And I think that, that the Pope has also asked that we go ahead and, and keep that fast all year long. It's not, uh, it's not a, um, we're not bound to it uh, legally through canon law uh, as we are with Lent, but, but we are, it is requested of us. It is a, a practice that, uh, that will strengthen our faith, that will strengthen our resolve. It will help us see that we're stronger than we think we are. And it will, uh, really tie us into the fact that Fridays are still, even today, a day of penance. Absolutely. And I'd go even a little farther than than you did there. And I, I would say that what canon law says is that uh, they are required days of abstinence and that in uh, that bishops can allow us to offer an alternate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, we are authorized to offer an alternate sacrifice, but to just skip it entirely and forget that it's Friday is not authorized in the United States. Um, we have to know that it's Friday. We have to offer an alternate sacrifice. And the, the bishops don't, in, in the bishop's letter that, that discusses this, um, they talk a lot about good works that we might do, but the actual canon law says that we would abstain from meat or some other food. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our family, we, uh, if we, if there's a good reason that we can't abstain from meat, we abstain from all sweets instead. And when you're going to a party and you tell your kids they can either choose to eat meat or they can choose to eat sweets, <laughs> they all of a sudden decide that it's okay if they don't eat meat at this party. Right. <laughs> so, in the little bit of time we have left, what is your favorite uh, yearly celebration outside of the of the Christmas and Easter that everyone expects? Yeah, so there are a lot of them. Um, I really love, we do a devil pinata for Michaelmas where it's just a homemade devil pinata made out of a spray painted cardboard box and the kids get to hit it with swords. And then if they defeat the devil, they get the sweet reward. Uh-huh. That's a pretty great one. Uh, but then what, for one that's coming up pretty soon, uh, I really love our celebration of the Annunciation um, and St. Joseph also. St. Joseph is the 19th of March and the Annunciation is the 25th. So for the Annunciation, the, the tradition in Scandinavian countries is to eat waffles. So we really, uh, so we eat waffles for dinner and, you know, breakfast for dinner is always very exciting. And then for St. Joseph, you're supposed to do a very fancy lots, uh, you know, fancy bread table that your Italian grandma would help you with. But instead of that, I just let my kids eat spaghetti noodles with their hands. (laughs) Work with his hands. We're talking today with Kendra Tierney, author of the new book, The Catholic All Year Compendium. You can find her writing this book at Ignatius Press and also her blog, CatholicAllYear.com. There's more to this conversation available to those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show link, and get all the extra goodies that are available there to our supporters. 
We'll be right back with much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, TL. We've been talking today with Kendra Tierney. She blogs over at CatholicAllYear.com and recently has published a book on Ignatius Press called The Catholic All-Year Compendium, chock full of ways that you can incorporate the liturgical year into your life. Fun, simple ways, including recipes or practices or devotions that will enrich your family's life and experience of the faith. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just go over there as soon as the show is finished broadcasting, and it'll be right at the top of the page. Easy for you to find and to click that share button, put it on your social media, send it in an email, however you want to get the word out. Uh, because this has been just a fantastic discussion about different ways to incorporate the liturgical year into your family's uh, normal everyday routine. There's more to my conversation with Kendra available to all those who support the show through Patreon. While you're over there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click that support the show link. It'll take you over to our Patreon page. And there you can find out all the different ways that you can support us. Starting with for as little as $5 a month, you get access to our extra content. Each and every week we uh, record about 5 to 10 to 15 extra minutes of conversation with our guest, diving deeper into the topic of the week. Join our community of supporters today and get all kinds of extra access. Now, without further ado, let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Today's reading from Scripture comes from the book of Nehemiah. It's out of our readings from Mass Tomorrow, and it's one I think that illustrates a, a point from our conversation that I think is important. Now, to set the stage, the, the people of Israel have been in exile uh, with Nehemiah. They were able to come back and to, again, inhabit the land and to, then to begin to build and rebuild their lives there. And while they were there, they came across the book of the law, which had been lost to them. And so here begins our reading. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and those children old enough to understand. Standing at one end of the open place that was before the water gate, he read out of the book from daybreak till midday, in the presence of the men, the women, and those children old enough to understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. He opened the scroll so that all the people might see it, for he was standing higher up than any of the people. And as he opened it, all the people rose. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people, their hands raised high, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and prostrated themselves before the Lord, their faces to the ground. Ezra read plainly, from the book of the law of God, interpreting it so that all could understand what was read. Then Nehemiah, that is his excellency, and Ezra, the priest scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to all the people, Today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not be sad and do not weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. 
He said further, go eat rich foods and drink sweet drinks and allot portions to those who had nothing prepared. For today is holy to our Lord. Do not be saddened this day, for rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. That reading comes from the book of Nehemiah, and it goes to that point that I was talking about earlier, that we need the full experience of of emotions, the full range of emotions that uh, is available to us throughout the year. So here, people who have been in exile and who are hearing the word of the Lord, first, it's the first time that they've heard it in a long time, and so there may be some some tears of just the emotionality of hearing it. But secondly, they realize how much they've missed. They're convicted by the words that they're hearing, and there's tears there as well. And yet, and yet there must, in that case, be celebration. Just as when we come to Easter, there must be celebration regardless of what else is going on. When Christmas comes, there must be celebration regardless of what else is going on, because these days are holy to the Lord, and they're holy to us. And Likewise, there are times where we must mourn when we come to Ash Wednesday and we fast, when we come to uh, Good Friday and we fast and Holy Saturday and we feel the weight of that loss. There are days that we must act according to the season that's put before us. Our reading today from Church History comes from the Detailed Rules for Monks by St. Basil the Great. And I bring this to us today because Sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by all by the things that we had in our conversation today. How am I going to live out the faith that fully? How am I going to get all of these different practices involved in my life? And ultimately, I just want to remind us that it's not about the externals. Rather, all of these things must be born out of a love for God that's deep within us. All of these things will bear fruit only when, we, when it's preceded by love. Love of God is not something that can be taught. We did not learn from someone else how to rejoice in light or want to live or to love our parents or guardians. It is the same, perhaps even more so, with our love for God. It does not come by another's teaching. As soon as the living creature, that is man, comes to be, a power of reason is implanted in us like a seed, containing within it the ability and the need to love. When the school of God's law admits this power of reason, it cultivates it diligently, skillfully nurtures it, and with God's help, brings it to perfection. For this reason, as by God's gift, I find you with the zeal necessary to attain this end, and you, on your part, help me with your prayers. I will try to fan into flame the spark of divine love that is hidden within you, as far as I am able through the power of the Holy Spirit. First. Let me say that we have already received from God the ability to fulfill all his commands. We have then no reason to resent them, as if something beyond our capacity were being asked of us. We have no reason either to be angry, as if we had to pay back more than we had received. When we use this ability in a right and fitting way, we lead a life of virtue and holiness. But if we misuse it, we fall into sin. This is the definition of sin, the misuse of powers given by God for doing good, a use contrary to God's commands. On the other hand, the virtue that God asks of us is in the use of the same powers based on a good conscience in accordance with God's command. Since this is so, 
we can say the same about love. Since we received a command to love God, we possess from the first moment of our existence an innate power and ability to love. The proof of this is not to be sought outside ourselves, but each one can learn this from himself and in himself. It is natural for us to want things that are good and pleasing to the eye, even though at first different things seem beautiful and good to different people. In the same way, we love what is related to us or near to us, though we have not been taught to do so, and we spontaneously feel well disposed to our benefactors. What, I ask, is more wonderful than the beauty of God? What thought is more pleasing and wonderful than God's majesty? What desire is as urgent and overpowering as the desire implanted by God in a soul that is completely purified of sin and cries out in its love, I am wounded by love? The radiance of divine beauty is altogether beyond the power of words to describe. That reading comes from the Detailed Rules for Monks by St. Basil the Great. And this, I think, is absolutely essential for us. This, more than anything else, is where we must start. We have to start with an encounter and an experience with the person of Jesus Christ, with an encounter and experience with a love of God the Father. Otherwise, nothing that we do will avail us anything, right? We have to start from that place that we talked about at the very beginning, start from that place where we realize the starkness of our situation, We're not going to be rescued by mere externals, by the actions that we do. Our children are not going to learn the faith simply by saying, okay, here's the prayer we pray. Okay, don't forget to bow right before you go into the the pew. If this is the faith that we pass on to them, this this external practice, the, the right motions with no understanding and no heart, then we will have failed our children because ultimately we haven't really passed on the faith. We've passed on the trappings of the faith. And those, those externals, when they are an expression of the interior disposition of the heart, they are incredibly powerful. But it's the interior disposition of the heart that has to precede it. Now, at the same time, if we have a good disposition and a, and a deep love for God, but we don't worship Him according to the way that He has given us and revealed to us through Scripture and through His church— we are also lacking. And so it is a both-and situation, but it, it has to be the both-and. We have to pass on to our children this deep love for God. Remember, that is the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And here, in this place, as we give them an encounter with the person of God the Father, with the love of God the Father, give them an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, Ah, now all of a sudden, our practice of faith, the the feast days that we have, the celebrations that we have, all that we hand on to them, now we give them something that will last. Now we give them something that will sustain them through difficulty. That's all the time we have for today, but join us over on social media all week long over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. Today's show is brought to you by Christy Burmeister and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.